0: What's the most uh, interesting place you've worked? Because I'm looking at your background. It's like fascinating. But what what do you consider since you've been around a little bit to be interesting or unique?
1: Every place that I worked at has been so different. I don't necessarily like to move offices, but when I've done, they've been for very, very specific reasons. You know, sometimes about money, sometimes about type of work, but they're all very different. And the experiences. I mean, and d- different because of the type of work, the size, the location, the place that I that I've spent the most time in an office. <clears throat> it was a an office which the partner split up. Um, it was Rogers Marble Architects, and and I was there from '99 to like I forget 2000. 2000-
0: I don't know. The pandemic yeah. is hard. It's hard to go. back. I know.
1: It's like, yeah, it's like the time. It's like, really? No. I've been working on this project for five years and it's not under construction yet? What the hell? Um, I, was there, I was there for like 12 years or something like that. Um, and And I was fortunate enough to be, to have been like the youngest person in the office when I got hired. And so I ended up doing a lot of kind of remedial work that nobody wanted to do. But I was right out of college, so I didn't know any better. And yeah, it's just where it's like, oh, you're gonna pay me? Oh, let's go. No, no, no. But it was, it was. I mean, I, I knew that, that 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 type of size was something that would be kind of beneficial. I had it. I mean, when you come out of college, you don't know anything. Um, and some people say, oh, well, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. I'm saying like, nobody knows anything. Um, but I, <laughs> I kind of knew that people seem nice and interesting and kind of committed to. The practice of architecture, and it seemed like there was enough, you know, kind of meat on that bone to to pick. And fortunately, as my uh, kind of career moved ahead, so did the size and scope of the projects and the the kind of the breadth of the work. I would say by far that was that was the most interesting one, just because every every time there was a different challenge, or I was ready for a different challenge, there was something else in there for me to. To do whether nobody cared for what I was doing, or maybe they just had complete confidence in me and they just kind of gave me the longest leash in the world. I still don't know. One of these days, I'll I'll ask <laughs> the print the you know the the principals of that office. I think it's probably a combination of both. They're like, ah, oh, you know, we had so much work and not that many people to do it, and you were there and you did a good work. So yeah, sure. Um, and and uh, you know, I think the the nice thing about that one that office was that it kind of taught me the kind of the generalist approach to a practice. I don't know how uncommon or common it is nowadays, but but people, clients are always kind of on the lookout for experts in a particular kind of subcategory or subfield. Yeah. Um, and to kind of, to be a generalist is, is to say, you know what, we know a little about a lot. So that, you know, that kind of breadth of knowing Will will help us figure out what the solution for you know whatever the project is, you know, it doesn't matter if it's retail or residential or you know, workplace, whatever it is. But having done all of these projects and, and having been put on these different kind of experiences that you need to respond, you need to respond differently because they're all sorts of different problems It's like, OK, well, this is another one of those. So that was that was super eye opening and very interesting
0: your first out of school, it's like your first, let's say your first 90 days in the new firm where you were. Yeah. Are you you working on like five projects at a time, 12 projects at a time, what's the scale?
1: I was working on these public projects. Um, It was a requirements contract with an agency, a New York City agency called DDC, which is the Department of Design and Construction. Um, And they, they had just passed the law the year prior that buildings, every building over five stories needed to be inspected. The envelope, the exterior envelope needed to be inspected every five years, right? And then the the office had a requirements contract with the city. And what that is, is that you are on a short list and then projects that, that they have, they just publish to that short list as opposed to just kind of publishing it globally. So we had this requirements contract to together with a structural engineering office um, to inspect all of these facades to see if they were in good condition or whatever. But I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just I just finished my thesis project about the simulacra of whatever the hell it was. And here I am on a drop scaffolding five stories high. Can I swear in this podcast? No. Yeah, you can. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm, you know getting my pants, cause I'm in a scaffolding in the middle of a public school, you know, facade in Brooklyn. And I have no clue how am I getting off of the scaffold? I don't know what I'm looking at. I mean, thank God the structural engineer did. Um, but I was basically there to kind of sketch and document, take measurements, take dimensions. Cause at the end of the day, we were putting a report together, right? So thankfully the structural engineer and the, the kind of the more senior person on the team actually knew what they were looking at. And I was just kind of there to kind of document the size of the beams and where the cracks were and the break and all that. So there were a handful of those. So we were doing, um, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, um, but we got to see, I mean, it was a great experience to get to see some public buildings that not that many people get to see, especially up close, like big armories and and just kind of some other buildings like that. Yeah, so that's how I got started. That's
0: fascinating. I mean, it's like (laughs) I'm glad that uh, we slowed down to get that in because I love historic buildings, and I've I've hung hung out on scaffolding above. But but
1: also, I mean, but also imagine you know I'm on my first week. It's the middle of the summer in New York. I'm wearing all black because I'm an architect, of course, of course. And and all of a sudden, I have to take the train to Brooklyn, which you know, 25 years ago was not what it is now and all of a sudden i have to go to the roof of this building and jump on that thing i got pretty hot pretty quickly
0: there's no prep for that they're like
1: yeah exactly um yeah and then you know and then after that you know when that thing and uh, ended you know we, we i kind of hopped on some regular projects
0: um <laughs> you earned your ability to draw from the comfort of a conditioned space yeah exactly
1: but it was, was like okay well somebody needs to do it That guy's new. He's young.
0: Yeah. (laughs) First job, I was I worked, went to work for a GC and we were doing a a high-rise like research building. And I was I went to school for electrical engineering. I thought, oh, this is so cool. I'm gonna get to look at like line diagrams and big equipment. Now here's a computer. Type in these daily reports. And
1: yeah, there you go. No, but it was it was interesting. And it was, you know, it's it, it was a good learning experience. Beautiful for sure. For sure. I was born in Puerto Rico and raised in Puerto Rico. Spanish is my first language. So I don't actually, when people ask, it's like, oh, is it Eugene? Is it Jean? Is it Eugene? I was like, right, guys, I, I have no clue. Call me whatever you want. In Puerto Rico, they say hey, Eugene, but hey. that's what people call me growing up. And it's like when people ask me, it's like, oh, do you go by Jean or Eugene or Eugene? And I was like, guys, just call me whatever you want.
0: But, uh, but uh, how do you say Kohlberg in Puerto Rican?
1: Colberg. Kohlberg. 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 <laughs> I love
0: it. <laughs> yeah. We lost I lost the accent fast.
1: Oh yeah, I I mean I don't have an accent anymore. I, I mean have,
0: there's I definitely have an east coast accent for sure.
1: Well, probably, yeah. I mean there's words that I get confused with here and there. And people look at me like, "What?" And at some point I'm like, "Guys, remember I ESL over here." It's yeah. like okay. I can't, you know. ESL. Yeah. No, I mean I I take spelling pretty seriously, but just pronunciating sometimes yeah okay yeah there you go
0: that's a unique one
1: yeah I mean the interesting thing though is that now I work with a lot of people from I actually have a bunch of consultants from Puerto Rico that are my age other folks in the construction industry and stuff and I realized that I learned architecture in English right like there's some I also speak French and Italian and and. And there's some things that I learned like Italian, for example, I learned in English okay. and, and French, I learned in Spanish. <laughs> so even though, so even though French and Italian are super close, I have to go from like Italian to English sometimes to Spanish, but over, like over to French in order to, you know, so it's like some things I know, like if you ask me to, to describe a building in Spanish, I'd be like, just cause I learned, well, cause I learned architecture in English. Right. Um, so I don't know the terms and I don't know. the. But anyway, let's See,
0: I got a little uh, pocket Spanish construction dictionary back there. that yeah. words that I never would imagine. Yeah. We never speak growing up.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Because that's not the language that. But anyway, one of these days we can have another another podcast about that.
0: Yeah, we should. <laughs> Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better, for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by...
2: Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French, and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, scheduling manager at Oakland Construction,
1: Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last climate season.
2: Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms, and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days.
0: Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry and in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Goldberg, AoGene. <Hey>, <laughs> yeah, there you go. AoGene. Hey, yeah. yeah. I can think in both languages, Spanish and English, like interchangeably. But uh, for this show, because I learned how to podcast in English. So totally. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Welcome to the show, Eugene Colbert. <laughs> it, is, it is. It's already been a treat. You're an amazing human being, Eugene. Uh, the first time we talked on the phone,
1: Yeah, I was walking down Third Avenue, trying to concentrate on, like, on the Upper East Side, I forget where the subway stops are, and trying to figure out, and then trying to get back here, because I had a ton of work to do, and then trying to talk to you at the same time. Yeah, That was great. (laughs) Great.
0: I could hear the the rustle and bustle of New York. People are going to just eat up this accent, just so you know, Eugene. Love it. I'm enjoying it already. I'm a huge fan. Tell the good people of the EBFC show lots about yourself starting when it's a great question let's start let's start where you'd like to start so the so the audience is uh mostly project managers okay we also have some young people considering should i go to construction so you could be the voice that definitively says yes i heard it from eugene this is a good career i should definitely do hell no i'm getting out of this thing
1: i mean what 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 is it what, what is there cooler than construction? I'm an architect, graduate from Cornell University. Um, and I've been in New York for almost 25 years now if not 25. And I have um, my own office that I have a partner with. Um, we're a small office. Depending depending on the day and the remoteness of the remote working, um, there's two, sometimes five. Um, you know, somebody during COVID was like, "Yeah, can I can I just work from Paris this summer?" I'm like, yeah, I guess. Um, and so we're yeah, so we're a small office. Um, we we one of the one of the main. Um, reasons for starting the office was that we wanted to do what we were kind of not allowed to do in other offices, both from the point of view of behavior um, and sort of tackling different projects at different scales and, you know, having the liberty of of just like, you know what, that project looks interesting because of X, Y, and Z, and I want to do it. Um, and so that's, so, so that's what we do. Um, I, my, I come from a very, very, varied background. Um, I spent some time at Gensler, uh, in New York, which is a completely different monster that Gensler anywhere else in the country. Um, and, um, I spent, uh, some time at an office called Eniad, which used to be called Polshek, which I can give you an entirely separate um podcast on on rebranding offices and what not to do and what to what things to do a lot of great civic work civic work out of the office a lot of museums a lot of college and university work so that was very nice and enjoyable um, and like we were talking before i spent my sort of formative years in an office um which no longer exists but it was a great education and a lot there's been a lot of offices that have come out of that office Um, you know, you can probably, there's almost like 20 offices, all small, but, um, and then, um, I'm originally from Puerto Rico. I spent, uh, up to high school there before I came to college and I did do some work down there in the summers and so on. You know, we're, we're big believers in, in, in a generalist practice. Almost every project that we have for the people that, that are interested in construction or kind of other fields related to that. The, the lines are completely blurred between the engineers, the architects, the, the PMs, the, you know, like all most of the projects that we do are very, very collaborative, um, not necessarily by the sign, sometimes by accident. Um, sometimes that they're just kind of weird projects to begin with and just kind of the lines are not that clear, um, which sucks for. Fee and and kind of staffing planning and all that, but but they're they're very rewarding.
0: But you're in the right place. I mean, that's the audience here. We love <laughs> and, Yeah, you know, so, sometimes sometimes in our business, we make money by accident, so that's okay too.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Or, or, or sometimes you don't, and yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> keep keep moving.
0: I've had uh, architects on the show before talking about. uh just completely, and I'm just going to paraphrase, completely throwing away six months' worth of work because a principal might have thought, no, it's not in line with what what, what needs to come out of this office. So they go at a loss and redo all of that work. And uh, I'm hearing from some friends in the business that that's not as uncommon as I would think.
1: I mean, I have, I have not personally experienced it like an interoffice office thing, but I've experienced like, you know, being hired by, by a client because they have um, money in a budget somewhere and the architect's fee or, you know, the design team fees compared to the overall project is this little. Um, and I've had clients that say, okay, thank you very much for the drawings. I'm just going to put them over here um and then uh you know we'll we'll figure out if we want to do it or not and i'm like guys we we just spent the last 6 months of our lives just pulling all nighters every other week and you're just going to you know what <laughs> um that's happened to me twice
0: Ooh.
1: um and one of one of those happened around the time immediately after my first kid was born he was born on a friday and i was in the office saturday sunday fortunately the hospital was a couple blocks away from the office (laughs) it's not something cool to do but it just gives you like once you go through that type of stuff a couple of times you're like guys this is not it's like we don't need to be we don't need to be pulling on liners we don't need to be working every weekend we don't there's no and over here we don't do that or we try not to do it um,
0: you've had a good variety of experiences under your belt and your approach in your office is just different so like your practice now you, you had your person working from paris because right. of, because of the rona so that's not uh, it's not a bad thing it's very interesting but a lot of companies didn't give that flexibility
1: well but but that's the the so one of the things that in we, we actually had a, a new person start yesterday and I remember when we were talking to him, we were like, look, we can't, we can't give you the, the kind of the nice 401k package that a big office can't give you, right? We, we can barely give you the health insurance that you need, but we can give you something, right? right. Um, we can be somewhat competitive on the salary. I mean, I think the, the thing that, that we can offer is flexibility, not working with jerks you'll hear me say that a couple of times we don't That's like good. jerks uh-huh. and there, there's no need for jerks there's no need to work with them and there's no need for them to be around me especially <laughs> so no um so you know and to, so what we like to the handful of people that had worked with us are people that sort of already kind of have a f- one foot in one foot out in in you know they're all kind of gearing towards having their own practice and we're like look that's something that's that's feedback that we can give you we can give you flexibility and and you can you can have a hands on kind of first hand experience on what it is to run a small practice you know and to have gone on their own to start their own gigs so so that's the kind of the thing that we can offer we can't offer you know we can't compete with a benefits package of of a bigger office but we're not jerks we can be flexible you know, as long as you get your work done, I don't care.
0: I think the not being jerks. I mean, when you're until you've had what I would consider the typical construction experience, you don't know how priceless it is not oh, to, have yeah. to work with jerks. And if you're Eugene, if you're running a, a no jerks zone,
1: I think I need to put that on the reverse of the business card. No jerks zone. Yeah. Um, no, and and look, and and if we've said no to some clients that we're just jerks. It's like, I don't, you know, either I'm going to make this fee so high that they'll say no. um, Or just we'll outright, you know, we'll just say, look, I'm sorry, but we're too busy. It's just like, seriously, that's just, there is, I have no time in my life for jerks. Oh, I love that. Uh, You've
0: made a fan out of me. So Eugene, tell the good people, where can they find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? And I'll make sure we put those links in the show notes.
1: Well, I think it's through, we have a good uh, we had a good Instagram page that we post regularly, um, and um, so you can contact us through there or through the website colbergarchitecture.com.
0: How do architects, specifically good architects in a no-jerk zone, collaborate with clients and construction teams?
1: One kind of fortunate thing that I think we've had is that most of our clients are. In about the same age range that I am and my partner is, right? I'm I'm 45. She's 47 or 29. I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: you messed that up. You should have said. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and and so I think that nowadays the the kind of the the people the the sort of the decision makers on the client side are our contemporaries. Some of them are younger, but the, the kind of the bulk of them are, you know, close in age to us. And, and they're easy, they're they're very relatable. I mean, you can always find something to relate to them in a personal level, like just, you know, it's like whether it's the kids or, you know, a lot of work or during COVID, it was like, you know, what was what were people doing? Like, who had tests? We didn't have tests, You're Like you know, all this stuff. Um... But it's it's once you establish that that and we're not very formal by any means, we're very relaxed and, and just not, if you want, you know, somebody with a shirt and tie, just go, go somewhere else. Um, so we like to keep it personal and, and sort of, again, no jerks, there's no, you know, everybody's a big fa- happy family. Everybody has the same goal here. All we want to do is cool projects. All the clients wanna do are cool projects. Contractors, they wanna do cool projects, right? Um, so I think as long as you keep, I've always had the attitude that, you know, we're, we're sort of here to help, right? It, everybody has the same common goal. So, and I think as long as you find those kind of shared, shared moments, um, shared values, it, it gives you something to fall back on when there's disagreements. Because you can always, you know, you can always remember. Oh, yeah, we might disagree on this, but ninety percent of all the other stuff we agree on, and there's a reason why we got here, right? And because they're not jerks, they can understand where, you know, how how you got there, or you know, like for example, I was having a conversation, a, a call today with a client where it's this uh, workplace project. And These HVAC units don't fit. They just don't fit. And well, I'm like, look, guys, that on the shop drawing, it it there was a dimension. You know, you assume the mechanical contractor knows what he's doing. And you know, they were like, well, you know, the CM who's not being very helpful. But, um, but this conversation with the client, I thought was just going to be just an hour of somebody just yelling at me, like, why didn't you? You know, this and that. And yeah, you know, and they were very, they were. Upset, but also understanding. Like, okay, how do we get here? How do we fix it? What's these people need to move to this new office? So it's like, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we get over this in a in a smart way that causes the least amount of brain damage?
0: It's a beautiful so, approach. And then you're you know. said the collaboration you have with the with the clients. At what point are you engaging the construction team with that? Or are they is it coming back to you through the client side first in that particular example?
1: Well so it um so on our projects we have a lot of repeat clients and we have a lot of repeat contractors and we find that to be super super helpful because on day 1 you already know the you already know what that dynamic is um and um and and you have and again and you have sort of shared experiences already that you can kind of refer back to. Um, And so depending on the size of the project, I mean, the bigger the project, the earlier the construction manager in this case, the CM gets engaged. Um, But on smaller projects, most of the smaller projects that we do are for clients that we have a personal connection to. So whether they're friends or friends of clients, or it's somebody that you want, even though it's a small project, it's, it's or it might be a not, you know, might be an apartment renovation that's not very interesting or something, but you're doing it not as a favor, but you're, you know, these people need help. You have a little bit of time. They're friends of a friend. Just go ahead and do it, right? Um, so we would very often engage or just informally speak to one of the contractors that we use all the time. To kind of get real feedback information on, on different things, we we see. I've always seen contractors as as collaborators from day one. The issue is how if if they are engaged in that manner, you know, how do they get compensated and by who, right? Yeah. So unless they're willing to do it for free, which sometimes they do.
0: Sometimes they do.
1: Yeah, I mean, some everybody everybody does it, right?
0: Yeah. There's certain things that uh, it's not no. about the money. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good point. I like yeah, that. Exactly. It's a good story. I think that's a good transition touching the, uh, the inside and the outside. And and, we talked about you getting on scaffolds earlier in your career. I've got a question here to follow up on that when it comes to uh, architecture, specifically interiors. Yeah. You've got some good experience with some historic touches to some modern stuff. You mentioned some, even some apartment stuff, if it's for the right client for the right circumstances. But as, as far as like, historic renovations or putting back to equal in kind. Which yeah. I have played with before. I've got a beautiful picture just off camera from a baby project that I had on six North Michigan Avenue, which I love at the time. I didn't, I love, it. didn't love it at the time, but right. that, in hindsight with memory. Yeah, exactly. It, fog. it was like, well, yeah. the greatest projects ever. Right. And so is there a difference when you're on a historic project, what clients are asking for, how they're talking to you versus, something modern or somebody wants something novel?
1: You know, I think people, especially in New York, um, when you have a historic property, um, most of the people have a sense of stewardship about that structure. If they're, if they're the building owner, if you're working for a tenant, it might be a little different. Um, but if you're working for the owner, there, there's like kind of a, an understanding that if you're the owner of a building and you're a, a regular kind of non-crazy person <laughs> there's there's this under, well because there's 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 cra- be, yeah. there's crazy building owners that are like oh yeah whatever um but most people have have an like when you own a historic building you see it as an asset to your portfolio or you know whatever it is um as opposed to um a negative right so so you want to take care of it you want to make sure that Partly because they have to do it by code. Yeah, the Landmarks Preservation Commission got started after um, Penn Station got demolished. It's very, very regulated. Um, but look, some some people like it. Some people see it as as an asset to 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 have properties like that. Um, and then depending on the type of project, whether it's a like an adaptive reuse or just even an interior's job, you know, there's always there's always kind of you know trying to get some like trying to, it, it's mostly an exercise of just kind of peeling back layers of bad renovations and just kind of getting it back to, to some of the original bones. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, uh, the, the fabric of New York is from the 19th century, right? Right. Um, so you're always, at any point, you're bound to work in a historic building, whether it's, it's landmarked or not, it's, you know, it sort of takes a similar responsibility. The non-crazy owners
0: disclaimer, you know, yeah. they want to put it back and kind of make it right. Yeah, is there a difference like when you don't have the constraint of the historic preservation group on the modern interiors? You know, what are people looking for?
1: There, um, so for example, on townhouses, right, which is which is where you kind of see that the most. I think people are are trying to either, well, it's not creating; it's sort of uncovering authenticity. Right. and and how do you how do you do that and in, in accomplish in the case of a townhouse, for example, kind of a modern modern in a sense of contemporary as opposed to just kind of stylistically modern, although those are our favorites. Um, how do you take this this container of that has layers of history and has authenticity and so on? And make it into a sort of a place for modern living, um, and, and and those interactions can be you know sort of on a detail basis, or how do you you know or especially if you're trying to do like how do you take one of these old townhouses for example and turn it into a passive house, right? And and that's when you kind of start seeing the the kind of different layers and how do they occupy spaces or how do they you know interact with the exterior which kind of make it super interesting.
0: Do you find that uh, you get sparks of creativity when you're in the spaces or when you've done some investigation and you're back maybe at the office or maybe even just like getting ready for work in the morning? Where, where, is the, where does the spark typically hit you or, your, or people on your team for what you're going to create in those spaces? Are you thinking inside out or outside in?
1: Our office is in downtown Brooklyn. Um, right above the new Apollo diner, <laughs> right above the, right above the kitchen, depending on the time of day, it smells like French fries. Um, yeah, you'd be 700 pounds. But so I, um, ever since a long time ago, I, I ride my bike to work. Um, and you know, the ride from our apartment, um, over here is about 20 minutes. Um, and, and I go to job sites on the bike and, and I go to meetings on the bike and, um, and that's where that's usually the only time I get to think I should be paying attention to the road. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but somehow I can do both.
0: I kind of feel like I I missed out not talking to you while you're on the bike. You were walking. Oh,
1: talk to, oh, you should, I. There are certain people, and I have certain phone calls early in the morning or late at night that I totally just take on the bike. The the we have a weekly call with um, with our publicist um, Deborah. That one I take on the bike all the time. Um, and you know, and sometimes she's like, "Oh, you know, I can't hear you." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, hold on, let me slow down because you get the wind on the headphones." <laughs> um, but but yeah, so I mean, the the so that's that's when. I think wherever you can get time and space to think is, is usually when things like that happen. Um, and it's not necessarily a spark, it's just that you have the right space or the right amount of space and time to just kind of put all of these disparate thoughts together. Because um, in front of the computer, there's always, I mean, I have two screens, everybody's got two screens, but. There's always like the email or the notification or the work or the calendar and the thing that you're late to, and it's all you know. Now with the, the camera with Zoom, um, so there's really not enough time to kind of just like put the blinders and, and do it. So for me, that happens in the bike. Um, that being said, though, going to job sites ever since I I was young, I, I think that's a life changing experience. Um whether whether it's during construction or after, you know, or close to completion, that's always like, oh shit, yeah, that's right. There's a reason we did it like that. Or or like, ah crap. That's thank God nobody's gonna notice that, but I'll remember that for the next time. Um no, it's always um, I mean, I think for for I've always had not necessarily that I've had a hard time, but but it's sometimes it's hard to get into to mentally get into the space in in a drawing um but you know you're just it's like that it's instantaneous when you go to the site
0: oh sounds like it is And then you you just have the idea and then when you get to where you get to you can remember it recall it
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah get it down on paper yeah gauge i love it i love it i never would have expected uh by expiration (laughs) That you've got going on. I'm making that up as a new word, Eugene. Just in case you're wondering. Well,
1: yeah. Well, there's there's a there's a quote um, from the mayor of Rome, Italy, from a couple of years ago. Um, The old mayor, not the new mayor, Um, who used to bike to work too. That that cycling is the right combination of um, fatigue and. I think it was fatigue and liberty or something like that, right? Like you're just tired enough, but it also is just, you're free enough to to kind of, you know, you have time to, to just kind of go through, through things. So that's what I do on my way in back from my, you know, the worst thing though, is going back home. Do you get time to think about all the crap that you didn't, you're like, oh, shit, I meant to send that email <laughs> or, you know, or like, oh, man, I forgot to schedule that meeting. You know, it's just, you have, I have 20 minutes to think about all the crap I didn't have time to do.
0: that's the curse part yeah i
1: know right exactly that's that's the yeah on the way so it's that we're down we're down the hill so on the way down the hill i think about all the positive things that i'm gonna do and then on the way back up the hill you're like oh crap i didn't get to do that
0: you're uphill and you're mentally going uphill (laughs) yeah exactly that's amazing yeah yeah speaking of uphill so you've you've survived uh, a pandemic congratulations yeah yes yeah Yeah.
1: same yeah same to you we're we're yeah
0: and you're back yeah. in the office. I, I want to hear from your perspective, from your practice, your vantage point about yeah. new Apollo, not the old, but the new Apollo kitchen. Yeah.
1: God knows about the old one. I don't yeah. know.
0: Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. How is it, uh, I'm sure it's, COVID's impacted them, but how has it impacted your practice?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's, um, it didn't impact our practice that much. It didn't change. It didn't and and I, and I say that carefully because yeah. to some degree it did to some degree it didn't but um, since we're, since we're small to begin with and we don't necessarily have the infrastructure of a, you know 20, 30, 100 person firm, there wasn't that much to manage to begin with and because we were so flexible, just kind of part of our DNA like when that person was like, look I'm gonna be in. I'm gonna be in Paris this summer with my parents. Um, it, she kind of wasn't asking either. She was I like, love that. Yeah. I'm, "She was like, I'm doing this, by the way." And yeah. I'm like, "Okay, uh, <laughs> sure."
0: Well, for people watching the show, I mean, you see exactly Eugene has nailed this impersonation of this uh, young professional. Now, for those of you listening in, it's worth coming back and remembering where this is happening, so you could see his pause. His face clearly said. I'm just telling you so you know. But right. I to work tomorrow.
1: Yeah. No. Exactly. No. And and no. The issue was that she. So she. Um. This person lived in Manhattan, and she had been working remotely. And at some point, I'm like, look, I, I haven't, I haven't seen you for two months. I guess it doesn't really matter where you're working from. Yeah. Okay. So you know, Europe is is, you know, five six hours away. So let's just get your work done you know and then if you have a question we'll overlap in the morning and it is what it is like but you know but I but again I think that's the that's the sort of that's our view of the universe anyways like as long as you get your work done it's cool and you know it's that that sort of hierarchical pressure is not there um what it did to our process and the way that we work I think that's what was most impactful, because um, you probably know, I mean, everybody listening probably knows, it's like having a Zoom meeting, just just exhausting. Oh my God. Um, and and it turned from... I mean, and it, 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 it sort of hit different projects differently, right? Like projects that were already doing construction, um, construction stopped in New York. Like, you couldn't build anything. So it became... Uh, we were working on a, on a uh, 60 unit um, apartment building and you're like, we have to finish. Like there's no, you know, so, so we had to work with the, with the client and the developer and the CM to figure out ways, you know, the city had a couple of exceptions that you could do to kind of keep working as, you know, sort of emergency work. Um, so it became this kind of big exercise and how, how do we get the things that we need to get done under these kind of emergency permits um, but projects that were very early in design it um, the present you know and our clients will tell you too what, on other projects that they're working on the the presentations or the design discussions become almost like you know you're checking the box on something else it's like people ask you people ask you for the PDF, the night before so they can look at it. So there's no real discussion. They're just listening to you while checking their email, doing something else. And then they just kind of send you comments when they're you know afterwards. I'm like, well, there's kind of no discussion, which kind of used to happen in a conference room or or in a side office. Um so that's been a little hard. Um you know it's also Looking at something, I mean, I have a big screen, but most of these people were on laptops and looking at presentations and looking at drawings on laptops just kind of doesn't work. Um, Looking at materials, like there's kind of, there's no, it's just the materiality gets lost, right? Um, So so we've sort of had to work over time to make sure that people understand the ideas that were, putting together um because the other thing that we found too was that people would just kind of nod and nod and nod and nod, and then you would say hey anybody has any questions and they're like yeah no okay great let's keep moving it and then like six months later they're like the hell is this we never saw this i'm (laughs) like well uh we showed it to you on and they're like well you know so there's been a lot there's been a lot of that that sort of people hiding behind kind of not taking responsibility for decisions or, or maybe being afraid to ask. One of the things that we've noticed too, is that the meetings, like a lot more people are in meetings. Um, similar to, to when you, when you send an email and you copy like 30 people, it's just like, well, there's no need to do that. But on the Zooms, you'll have somebody who's kind of peripherally involved in the project and they're just kind of listening to the meeting while kind of doing something else. Um, Or, you know, it's like you never know who's who's sort of paying attention, who's not paying attention. Um, But yeah, so that that, I think that's the most impactful. Otherwise, I mean, we've been we've been able to work. We've been able to keep working. We're a small office. Um, We don't we don't we're not in a big building. So all of the kind of the security measures and stuff like that are not there. Um, you know, we we share the office with with two smaller, or two kind of small businesses. And we just, you know, sent an email to each other. It's like, okay, well, let's come up with some rules. I'll be over here, you'll be over there. We'll wash our hands, you know, we'll wear masks, we'll open the windows. And, you know, so that, that pressure wasn't there. Um, so in terms of sort of production of work, we we didn't see a, a, a kind of reduction of that.
0: Yeah, what I like about that story is how you you had uh, communication of something we talked about at the beginning and you you just reached out and kept it human. I think it goes back to your philosophy uh, of the no-jerks, which you promised to say a bunch of times, just by the way, just I'm oh, talking, yeah. counting it over here, but you got room, you got yeah. the runway for, for more of that.
1: Yeah, no-jerks, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. No jerks people and uh, keeping a human. Yeah. Some people in very large complex organizations, like the rules that people had to go through during the pandemic were changing fast and were extreme strict to, to nothing at all. There were areas I heard some States. I talked to people as I traveled around the country where like the pandemic never showed up where they live.
1: Yeah, no. And, and for example, for here, I mean, we have, we have old colleagues and, and, and friends that, architects and engineers and and work in construction that work in in large offices and to some people you know it the the separation between um i mean and this is nothing that nobody this is not news right but this but you know the this the working from home scenario where you would just like okay well i'm just gonna have dinner and then just go back to my desk and keep working um just because there was this this yeah, because there, I mean, at least in after after the initial shock of COVID, where just kind of the world froze, the workload, at least in New York for architects, just kept increasing. Um, and and you know, like everybody else, there there was, I mean, people have a hard time finding help. Some people moved out, some people kind of had second thoughts and, and about their careers and kind of life choices and stuff. But yeah, the amount of work that, I mean, the amount of work we have now is just, it's out of control.
0: You know, with all that change happening, we hear about change all the time from a design professional's perspective, from your perspective. Yeah. Disclaimer, this is AoG's perspective. That's, yeah, there you go. I got your okay. name. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I've, well, been pra- I've been practicing it in my mind quietly. So, I, yeah, Aojin, hey, I like it. I, yeah. Now I feel like we're getting closer. What What's something that design professionals would be good, like especially for younger professionals just getting into the business now, and they're coming into this change and they're just going to show up like you did so many years ago and think this is just how it is. What's something that you tell them it'd be good for them to know entering this environment now?
1: Construction and architecture and design and and even engineering. It all goes back and I think you mentioned it a little while ago it, it all relates back spatially in and um, I mean we build for people right and we build spaces for people and we build at the scale of people we we build if you're a mechanical engineer you build for that for the comfort of people if you're a structural engineer you build for the safety of people um, so to remember that, you, you are designing for people. You're, you should always have the sort of the greater good in mind. And like you said, just try and keep it as personal as you can, right? I think the, the and one of the things that they used to, to sort of beat into our heads when I worked at Gensler was that, you know, you, when, when you work on a project, you always need to see it from your client's perspective all the time. You have to, you have to figure out before they do what they're thinking, you know, what their reactions are going to be, what's important to them. So at least you understand your audience or where you're coming, where are they coming from in order for you to have an intelligent and thoughtful idea or response to their request or whatever. So I would say to anybody who's, who's new in the field and, or who's thinking about um, doing construction is that at the end of the day, it's about people, right? It's the scale that you're working for, it's the people that you're serving. It is a service profession, all of what we do, whether you're laying brick, designing a a duct or, or, you know, working on a new revenue model, it's a service industry. And I mean, you get to serve the people. So the more, the more personal it can be, the better.
0: No, I love that. It's It's definitely in tune with the heart of our show, which is respect for people and being so people-focused. Hey, Eugene, thank you so much for coming on to. Well, well you got, I'm getting
1: I'm getting goosebumps.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing a perspective that we don't often get to do, and and pausing like we do now and just having this conversation mano a mano. Yeah, it, it's it's nice. It feels good. I feel like we're I'm catching up with an old friend.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and but that's you know what that's that's actually that's actually what we strive for with our clients, right? I mean, granted we're starting from the position of no jerks. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I I want you to be happy. You know, like if you're my client, I want like, there's nothing more than I want for you to be happy. Most of our clients are repeat clients. So and and they become just kind of part of this bigger network of just kind of friendly colleagues and clients which is great. And the same with contractors and the same with consultants. And, it
0: takes a village
1: to build. Yeah, you know. exactly. Especially nowadays.
0: Yeah. yeah. The complexity going up so much and the changes happening so fast, we need those people. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I, I think you're right. I didn't even think about this. I was gonna, let me just go back a second. When you, you know, in the pandemic hit, we went from having, you know, no calls, almost practically zero Zoom calls in construction and everything had to be face-to-face.
1: I mean, we had some like go to meetings and some WebEx and stuff
0: super for,
1: for projects that were, you know, like we we were doing we were doing a couple projects in China and we always had those. And but, yeah,
0: 100 like, percent.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like I remember uh, in the early days of the pandemic, my first I think the first meeting I had it was like the day the week after the week, everything shut down. I think the first Zoom thing we did was like 12 hours long you know, one one continuous Zoom call. It was yeah. something that was supposed to be in person, you know, at, around a conference room table a working session. Yeah. We had to make it work around uh, our computers, yeah. which yeah, was, exactly. it was, I mean, it was totally different for people and cameras on, which people are not used to. I'm seeing cameras off again already. Yeah,
1: that's good. Yeah, people are kind of tired of the camera.
0: Yeah, i like, was so glad to see your camera on, on this one, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was good. Could have been like a, like a VR augmented reality if you were on the bike doing this show, racing up that hill on your way yeah. home. I want to give you the last downhill glide on the show. There you hey, go. You take us out on on some good, easier, better for construction. The future is bright. Share some some of your positivity and optimism with our
1: fans. I think the future is no jerks. There's no reason to be one there's like, there's just, there's no reason to be one, you know, everybody's in the same team. Everybody's in the same team. You know, like you said, it's just, it takes a village. And, and I think what, I think one thing that we've been seeing though, over the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years is the, the lines between design, the different design professionals and the different, um, I don't know what they're called, but construction um, professionals, let's say, um, and clients being blurred, right? You have architects that work for the client. You have contractors that are, you know, uh, consultants. You have consultants that are work on the construction side. You have, you know, it's just like everything is just a big mush. You know, the benefit of that is that people can see each other's point of view, hopefully, easier. Um, and when you're working with no jerks that's even easier
0: very special thanks to my guest I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez the EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better thanks for listening stay safe everybody
1: Let's go build.